in look at Pasuk uh, Zion in the beginning of our Parsha. So we're beginning Shmos, and you can find it in the art scroll if that's the Chumash you are using on page 292. Uh, and any chumash that you may be using, it's parakalaf. So the parasha begins, Velishmos ben Israel, etc. As we know, uh, quickly the circumstances of the Jewish people, the Jewish tribe, deteriorates. They increase in numbers, but their persecution begins. So the pasuk that uh, I want to begin with is pasuk Zayin. So the Torah, uh, the book of Shmos begins with reviewing the names of the 12 sons of Yaakov, and then by way of highlighting the dramatic increase, it says that although Yaakov initially came to Egypt with his 12 sons and their families, over the subsequent generations, they proliferated. So let's look in the English here, how the um, it's rendered the translation. The children of Israel were fruitful, teamed, increased, and became strong very, very much so. Now, this passage is familiar to us also from the uh, Haggadah. And we find several expressions of multiplicity. And of course, this is the source of the famous comment of Rashi, perhaps in a Midrashic vein, Perhaps it's not necessary mathematically to explain the increase, but Rashi says, Shisha every woman gave birth to multiple children, sex tuplets, even, and that is hinted to in the multiple uh, expressions. Paru, six expressions of increase. My friend for the year, Rav Moshe Alshech, asks a very simple question, which probably has occurred to you, even if you haven't articulated it explicitly. Why does the Torah liken the increase of the Jewish people to carrots? Vayishritsu is to increase. Here it says, uh, in the English, it says they teamed. Paru, they were fruitful, from the word pre. Vayishritsu teamed. The, the uh, e Egypt or Goshen, like was was uh, uh, just teeming with with Jewish people. In other words, the increase was remarkable. The word sheretz means a rodent, like a mouse or a rat or another uh, lizard or other creatures. Usually, a sheretz is not. It's firstly not a a kosher animal. It's certainly tame. It's a source of tumah of a spiritual or ritual contamination. And he asks, why does the Torah use that metaphor? Why does the Torah choose? a word, a noun, and then turns it into a verb to express the uh, the multiplicity. They increased in the manner of a sheretz. And actually the Medrash says that a sheretz could give birth even to 60 eggs at a time. Uh, the word sheretz applies, as I said, to a rodent, to a lizard, uh, to, to other creepy crawling creatures. None of them are very pleasing. None of them are very complimentary. Says Al-Sheikh, couldn't the Torah come up with a more uh, appealing, a more congenial, a more refined uh, metaphor to use for the increase of the Jewish people? Says Al-Sheikh, an interesting idea, and this is the first thing I want to share with you, and it's introductory to a more uh, um, like um, sophisticated 
further analysis we'll get to shortly. He says, paru v'yishritsu, paru is from the word pre, fruit. The Jewish people were fruitful. That is to say, just as the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, they all had children, not that many. Abraham and Yitzchak did not have that many children. Certainly Abraham and Sarah had only one child, but this child of Abraham and Sarah was very righteous, Yitzchak. Yitzchak had only two sons, Yaakov and Esav. Okay, Esav didn't maybe bring that much nachas to the, to the family, but Yaakov did. So Abraham, Yitzchak, and then Yaakov had 12 sons, each of whom were complex in their own way, but um, they were all righteous as well. So says the Alshif, Paru refers to the Jewish people, the descendants of the patriarchs who gave birth to, who fathered, and who became the parents of a generation of those who were similarly righteous. So Paru is a reference to those who were righteous. Yishritsu, my friends, he says, refers to the Jewish people who were numerous and were not righteous. And that's the title of our shir tonight for those who, who took note of it. Many Jews, few tzaddikim. I'll read you a few lines. He says, There were two categories, two groups. Probably there was a continuum as well. It wasn't just two totally distinct groups, but you could divide the Jewish people into the righteous and the less than righteous. And probably the former, the righteous, were more uh, limited in number. And he refers not here but elsewhere to the famous tradition that only one in five of the Jewish people actually left Mitzrayim. The other opinions maybe one in 50, etc. So he says, Paro shasu peri. They they were fruitful. Shehu kiyotze ba'avos, just like an apple tree produces apples and a mango tree produces mangoes. So the tree of the patriarchs produced those who were worthy like them. That was one category, but there was another category. Ve'yishritzu. There were those who were like the detritus, like the, the, the duras, those who were just increasing, but quantity, not quality. And he says the other expressions that we find in this passage, take another look. Paru refer to refers to the two categories. Vayirbu, the tzaddikim increased, but the non-tzaddikim, vayatsmu, were very powerful and numerous. Bima'od, ma'od. So he says that the Torah here is alluding with the words paru to the two categories. They both increased, but probably the those who were not righteous, those who were less than righteous, were more numerous. And he even says, there's a, a, a well-known Midrashic tradition. Rashi quotes it in Sanhedrin. It may be found in other sources as well. I mean, Rashi says, B'Shem Agav. It's a, it's a rabbinic tradition, probably not meant to be taken literally, but it expresses a, a, an idea, a dramatic idea, that part of the uh, like uh, inhuman torment to which the Jews were subjected is that the Jewish children, in some cases, 
were put into the place of the bricks in the wall. In other words, they were they were walled in. They were even cooked with the bricks. Uh, again, whether it's literally or just figuratively. And on one occasion, Moshe saw a child, a Jewish child, maybe a, a toddler who was being used in place of a brick, and he was going to be in uh, you know in, uh, in entombed within the wall of this structure. And Hashem said to, and Moshe said to God, are you subjecting the Jewish people to such misery, to such persecution, such suffering? So Hashem said to Moshe, if you want, take him, take him out, save him. It's up to you. The implication being that those who were, uh, um, let's say, subject to, to that kind of suffering, I, I would stop short of saying they deserved it, but they were not worthy of being redeemed. So Moshe took one of those children out and he turned out to be Micha, not the prophet Micha who lived later, but this is the infamous Pesel Micha. Micha is the one who smuggled out a, um, uh, an idol and ultimately was the catalyst in the sin of the golden calf, the Chet Egel. Perhaps he's the same one even who lived for a long time and he was involved in other, other transgressions as well. So uh, just to read you a few words. Uh, if you want, take one of them, one of these children who is otherwise going to be uh, uh, entombed in the wall and take him out and you will see, God told him. So again, our intro is the observation that there is already here an allusion to the two categories. They increased in numbers collectively, but the righteous were few. The ones who were called Puri, who were like the, the patriarchs who came before them, who were following in the worthy paths of their forebears, were few. Vayishutsu, there were many, many others who were not as worthy. Now, I want to turn uh, right away, as Al-Sheikh himself does in the following passage, to this question. What about our tradition that the patriarchs established the foundations of righteousness of the Jewish people? And without thinking even, uh, you know, superficially that every Jew is in is is completely righteous, not now and, and not even then. But nevertheless, the idea that we are collectively worthy and deserving is part of our usual way of thinking about the, the foundations upon which the Jewish people are. Are, are established. Al-Sheikh tweaks that a little bit in explaining that possibly, we once mentioned this previously as well, that the whole reason for the exile, perhaps in, in Mitzrayim, has to do with the fact that the process of refinement, of purification, was ongoing. It wasn't sufficient just to say, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are the three pillars of the Jewish people. And after that, the 12 sons of Yaakov were righteous, and whatever followed were all righteous. It doesn't happen as easily as that. And again, we don't have time to for, for his full analysis, but he explains this even drawing on the Kabbalistic tradition about the idea of the uh, encounter of Chava, of Eve in the Garden of Eden with the serpent, symbolizing the uh, Yetzirah and symbolizing the 
the like fallibility of man, not just the fallibility, but the inevitability of man's uh, downfall because of the fact that the, the serpent has placed within Chava that uh, um, like source of contamination. Generation after generation, things went uh, deteriorated further for 10 generations until uh, Noah, uh, for the 10 generations until Avraham, and then began what you've probably heard the Kabbalistic expression, Olam Hatikun, the world of rectification. Says the Al Sheikh that the Jewish people in Mitzrayim were not yet free, not yet like completely refined from their own uh, like uh, uh, contamination. This is why so many ultimately were left behind. But I don't want to get ahead of our story because I want to share with you a very interesting medrash, which prima facie expresses a similar idea in three ways, but Al-Sheikh Kedarko makes it so uh, um, precise in his analysis of the imagery that the sages employ. The medrash in, in Tehillim, there's a medrash called Shochar Tov. It's a collection of medrashic teachings that are based on the chapters of Tehillim. And in chapter 107, Tehillim 107, the Pasuk says, Asher Go'alam Miyad Sar, who has redeemed them from the hand of their oppressor. So says the medrash as follows. This refers to the Jewish people who were in Egypt and they were redeemed from their persecution. And the Medrash, listen closely, mentions three different metaphors. Al-Sheikh is going to explain them. Kishem shat sipor hatsayad. Just as a bird is placed in the hands of the trapper. If he wants to, uh, like, uh, uh, crush the bird because he's holding the bird, he's trapped the bird. Hey, Misa, he can kill it. He can kill it in his hand. Vim vacation, if he wants, chaya, he can allow it to live. Similarly with the Jewish people, the Jewish people were like sunken in, they were ensconced within Egypt. And the Egyptians had apparently the ability to kill them or to allow them to live. And that's the post. I went down to save him, the Jewish people, from the hand of Egypt. God saved them on that day. That's one uh, mashal, one metaphor. Here's another one. And the Jewish people were placed within Egypt. Like an, an embryo, a fetus in the womb of, an, of, a, of a, let's say, a cow or a ewe of a behemoth, just as the shepherd places his hand within the womb, vishomto, and like brings out, draws out the fetus from within the, the womb of the, of the animal, this is what Hashem did, as the Pasuk says, uh, to come and to take for himself a nation from within a nation, goimi kerev goy. That's the second, Marshall, the second metaphor, here's the third one. Amar Rav Avio Vishem Rav Yosi Ben Zimra, 
just as a goldsmith extends his hands and takes the gold from the crucible, from the furnace, similarly did God redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. Like it says, from the, the iron crucible, from the iron furnace, which is Egypt. So Al-Sheikh says, superficially, we have three ways of expressing the same idea. I'll just review it. We have the trapper who traps a bird and holds it in his hand. He can kill it or he can allow it to live. Or we have the image of the embryo, the fetus within the womb of the, of the, um, the cow or the ewe, the, the livestock, and the shepherd can extend his hand within the womb of the animal and to draw it out, to draw out the fetus into life. And the third one is like the gold, which is uh, uh, in the crucible, and the goldsmith will, will bring it out. So Al-Sheikh, and my friends, it's so fascinating to, to me to see how he analyzes with such insight and precision every nuance of the Medrash. So he asks a few questions. He says, according to the first um, metaphor, that the Jews were like a, a bird in the hands of the Egyptians. Does that mean the Egyptians could have, uh, it was within their power to kill the Jewish people? And what is, why does it say that uh, the trapper can, can kill the bird or allow it to live? You don't have to say both. If, you, if he has the power to kill it, then the alternative is if he doesn't exercise the power, then it lives. What does say he has the power to cause it to live? And he says, what's the meaning of Meshukaim ensconced within the hands of the Egyptians, or the other one which says that it was that the Jewish people were placed and doesn't say within the hands of the Egyptians, but within the Egyptians. And that's the metaphor of the embryo within the, the, um, the womb. And he says, even this goldsmith, why does it say in the first case, biyad with that within the hand? And it says in the case of the goldsmith, poche, I'm sorry, the, the, um, uh, the shepherd can place his hand within and draw the, the embryo out, but the Zahavi, the goldsmith, uses two hands. What's the significance of it? So he highlights or he observes these very fine distinctions and he explains them one by one. So that's what I'd like to uh, devote the rest of our minutes together uh, for a half hour on the Parsha to see how he explains these three. This has a profound explanation, not just in terms of the imagery, but much more fundamental than that. He says the Jewish people, these three positions of the marriage, these three opinions reflect three possible explanations as to why the Egyptian, why the Jewish people were in such a plight. What, what brought it about? Meaning, what transgression, what circumstance uh, caused the Jewish people to be at the mercy of the Egyptians and suffering to such a degree from the Egyptians? So he says one possibility is what we find when Moses said to the uh, Jewish, to the Hebrew men who were fighting, Moses said to the one who was the aggressor, Lama Sakereyecha, why are you striking your fellow? Probably they were both scoundrels, really. But the one who was apparently the uh, the aggressor, and he replied, Do you propose to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moshe said, 
Now, I see the matter is known. Now, the simple understanding is, I see the matter is known what I did yesterday, killing the Egyptian. And now he, uh, th these Hebrews are, are, this one at least is threatening to denounce me and to, to um, uh, essentially turn me into the Egyptian authorities. Uh, so uh, he fled. But Rashi says, now I know why the Jewish people are suffering. They're suffering because they deserve it. Meaning they're so uh, iniquitous that they deserve it. They're essentially being punished for their sins. Okay, we'll review, we will return to that shortly. The other possibility is when Moshe said, has at the very end of the parsha, he says, after Paro initially completely rebuffs Moshe's request or demand that my people go. And Paro says, he won't. I was going to use another term. It rhymes with, uh, with uh, okay, we'll leave that. Uh, and he made it much worse. And Moshe went back to Hashem and he said, So according to the other possibility of why the Jewish people are, are oppressed, it's because of what, Avraham said, In other words, it's part of the destiny, part of the like um, the um, pattern of the destiny of the Jewish people. Hashem says to Avraham, your descendants will be uh, enslaved and they will be persecuted in a foreign land. And then they will be ultimately redeemed. And Avram said, which according to Al-Sheikh, the meaning is, Avram said, why uh, exile my descendants through Yitzchak and through Yaakov? What about Yishmael? What about Esav? Why not let the uh, like promissory note, the, the debt, be repaid by other descendants why does it have to be the jewish people and that could be a legitimate complaint you know moshe could say to hashem look uh, I, uh, it was destined but avram has other descendants why the jewish people the third possibility is and we'll see that al sheikh uh, uh, endorses this one finds this one the most compelling is that the jewish people like any other group of people had some who are worthy and some who are less worthy. And even the descendants of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov still have dross. They still have the, the uh, impurities. They have to be purged of the impurities. And the experience of the Egyptian exile was a means of separating and polarizing and refining so that those who would leave Egypt would be deserving, would be those who are worthy and those who are unworthy would be left behind. And this is the continuation of this process of purification. So again, let's just, just review. He says, the first reason for the Gullahs is because they were exiled as a result of their sins. The second is they were exiled because of Avraham's complaint, and the third is in order to purge the 
uh, dross, the, the, the like remaining effects of the imperfections in the human condition that were a result of the uh, encounter of the serpent with Chava in the very dawn of human uh, experience. Then he explains how these three possibilities are um, reflected in the three metaphors that we found in the Medrash. So let's go. Let's see how he explains it. He says that when the Medrash says that it's like the trapper who has a bird in his hand, who is a bird has been trapped in the in the the lure of the of the um, trap in the forest. He says the bird is caught because of its own behavior, its own choice. The bird in the heavens will not be caught in a trap. A bird high up in a tree will not be caught in a trap. A bird in its nest is not caught in a trap. When the bird sees a, a seed or a grain and it goes to, 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 to eat it, that's when it gets caught in the trap. So it may be the naivete of the bird, it may be the misfortune of the bird, but the bird wants something that is, seems very appealing to it, and then it gets caught in the trap. The Jewish people went down to Egypt because of grain. They wanted grain, and they became caught in the trap of the Egyptians. When it says in the metaphor that the, uh, the trapper can kill the bird or cause it to live, it doesn't mean the Egyptians could have killed the Jewish people or, or let them go. On the contrary, he says it means that they could have... Uh, um, killed them, or they could have enslaved them. Chaya doesn't mean to, to release them because the mashal doesn't say the trapper could kill the bird or he could release the bird. It doesn't say that. The mashal, the parable says, the metaphor says the trapper can kill the bird or he can allow the bird to live, but the bird will be forever trapped. He could you know, keep it in a cage. And that's what the Jew Egyptians did for the Jewish people. They effectively kept them in a cage of Egypt. And uh, he says how uh, Al-Sheikh quotes the Gemara that says that to be a captive, to be a prisoner, to be a slave, in some cases is worse than death. And that's what the, what the Egyptians had the ability to impose on the Jewish people. And that's what they did impose upon them. The Jewish people remained trapped, enslaved, exploited, and persecuted by the Egyptians. And he says this corresponds to the possibility that the Jewish people were in Egypt because of their sins, and they suffered because of their sins. And like the Medrash says, another well-known Medrashic tradition, that the Jewish people were, were like uh, influenced and were, excuse me, uh, guilty of idolatry and other transgressions because their, their uh, uh, example of the patriarchs and relationship with Hashem had become so attenuated and become so lost. And perhaps the Jewish people themselves had become brutalized by the Egyptians. As the Medrash says, halalo of the halalo of the These are idolaters, and these are idolaters as well. The Jewish people were not much better than the Egyptians, in which case we can say, well, they're suffering because of their sins. 
if you are so iniquitous and if you betray the greatness of your ancestry, then you suffer the consequences. That is the first approach that the Jewish people were like a, like, like trapped like a bird, and then Hashem redeemed them. Hashem redeemed them in his mercy. The second possibility is that uh, the Jewish people were not, and, and, and regarding the uh, promise to the patriarchs, so the promise is not unconditional. The promise to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is, if your descendants are worthy like you are worthy, but if they're not worthy, then the deal is off. Okay, that's one possibility. According to the second possibility, that we say that the, the uh, Jewish people were trapped, were, were, were um, in Egyptian exile, not that their iniquity was to the extent that the promise of the patriarchs was canceled or was nullified. But rather, it says that the Jewish people were placed in Egypt and they were influenced by the Egyptians. They were like a, a, an embryo, a fetus in the womb uh, of, uh, of the mother. Of course, it's it is derived from that, from the same source. It's surrounded by the influence, so to speak, of the of the environment. And he says, like uh, a, a Moshe said to Hashem, that it's unfair for you to hold the Jewish people to an exacting standard. They've been living in Egypt for generations. He says that uh, it's like a man or a king who has a son. And he sets him up in a perfume uh, business and he places him in a red-like district. You know, if a person is selling uh, perfume and cosmetics in a, in a, a red-light district, who are his customers going to be? Who are his clients going to be? Who, who is going to be coming into his uh, uh, you know, shop? Who is he going to be interacting with? The circumstances and the company and the influence is going to be so negative, he'll never be able to retain his a moral stature in such an environment. So this is what Hashem said to the Moshe said, said to Hashem, it's not fair what you've done to the Jewish people. So he says that is the meaning of the mashal of the parable, the metaphor of like Uber And he says that the Jewish people would have the Egyptians were saying to the to the so to speak, you know, in the metaphor, the Jewish people are supposed to be here for 400 years. They don't have the merit, and they don't have the even the the sort of um, rhythm. The timing doesn't allow them to be redeemed, to be released after after two hundred and ten years. We want to keep them. This is like the embryo, a a a, a ewe or a cow, a bovine or a sheep or a goat does not require in nature a shepherd to uh, uh, enable it to give birth. Uh, that is not something which nature requires. Says the al that is the beauty of the metaphor because the Jewish people would have been released after 400 years if there's anything left of them. Just like a, a, a sheep or a goat or a cow gives birth after a certain number of weeks of gestation. 
But what if the shepherd wants to precipitate the labor, to, to induce the labor? Then he has to put his hand into the womb and somehow draw the, the fetus out before it's time. So he says, this is the second view that the, the Jewish people were oppressed because uh, of of the promise to Abraham of 400 years, and they wanted to get out before the 400 years. So this is the, the metaphor of the shepherd drawing out the embryo. But then he says in a beautiful uh, analysis of the third possibility. And the third one we said is the goldsmith. He says that uh, that which would take 400 years was accelerated because of the harshness of the oppression. And the goldsmith, because of the preciousness, preciousness of the gold, he puts his two hands in. That's mean he puts his hand literally into the fire. He maybe uses an implement, but he's prepared to, so to speak, descend into the furnace in order to take out the gold. He even says that Hazahavi is like the goldsmith. He's not just a, um, an artisan, but he also owns the business. He doesn't say to his apprentice, deal with the gold. He does it himself because of its preciousness. So are the Jewish people so precious. He even says the two hands, it represents Midas Hadin and Midas Harachamim. On the one hand, the attribute of, of uh, mercy. On the other hand, the attribute of, of judgment. He says, according to the first two possibilities, the Jewish people were redeemed by God only out of mercy. According to the third possibility, even with Midas Hadin, why? Because those who were not worthy of being redeemed stayed behind. Those who were deserving, those who were redeemed from Mitzrayim were purified by the furnace, partly by the suffering and partly by the influence of Egypt. Those who did not want to leave or those who were not worthy of leaving stayed behind indeed. He says, this is the meaning of Eschem Lakach. That's why the proof text is Eschem Lakach. And God has taken you, meaning those who were removed from Egypt, those who were redeemed from Egypt, were the ones who are worthy. My friends, with this we see, I think, a beautiful insight that the experience of the Egyptian exile was not only the punishment, not only the suffering, not only the like uh, um, the destiny of the Jewish people of the promise to Abraham, but there is something positive and necessary, the process of purification, the process of polarization, perhaps, in which Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were so righteous. But when you create a nation, descendants numbering into the hundreds of thousands, they can't all be equally righteous. Says the Al-Sheikh, those who left Mitzrayim, okay, they were not uniformly uh, righteous by any means, but they were the ones who best uh, 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 perpetuated or exemplified the merit of the of the patriarchs. And I think this is the explanation of why the Jewish people remain distinctive even to this very day, because our foundations, even after Avamitz of Yaakov, through the crucible of Mitzrayim, represent the uh, the concentration of potential within the Jewish people, which we see throughout the generations, people who are uh, uh, 
uh, spiritual titans who have the ability to transmit and to represent the greatness of which the human being is capable. The Jewish people continue even to this late date in history to be the uh, exemplars or to have the capacity to exemplify righteousness for the world. It's not to say that every one of us is righteous. Certainly uh, there's inevitable, inevitably great variability, but at least we see this, the foundations of the Jewish people that are emerged from its rhyme according to the beautiful um, and brilliant elucidation of the Medrash of the three possible parables, the bird that is trapped and held by the hunter, the uh, embryo that is drawn out from the surrounding, the insidious uh, surroundings of Mitzrayim, that the Jewish people were extricated. And lastly, and uh, certainly the approach of Al-Sheikh, the one that Al-Sheikh lauds is the goldsmith who purifies the gold, the dross is drawn away, is burned away, and, and he takes from the furnace the pure gold, which represents the potential of the Jewish people. I'm sorry we've gone over a few minutes, but we're back after a few weeks' absence, and I wish everybody Shabbat Shalom. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And if you'd like to hear about our adventures in South Africa, come to Kesher this Shabbos to hear all about it. Very beautiful, Shabbos. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shalom. Thank you. 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 So, no. yeah, I hope you will see things again. Yeah, okay. Thanks. I don't know why I'm going to lose the connection. It's, it's still there. And the, the pictures that quite, he blurs his background. Leave the meeting. You can see him inside.